I was fortunate to be able to go to Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor this past January. Have you been to Zingerman's Deli? Then you know it's one of the finest delis in the entire country. It's frequently given awards for for being a, a leading small business and offering remarkable food and service. But back in January, I didn't travel for the marble brownies or the Reuben sandwich, which are truly epic. But I went to school. I drove two hours in sleet and snow to study how to create a vision in a room full of entrepreneurs and nonprofit leaders and CEOs. We had all come to study the process Zingerman uses to chart a course into the future. I went to Zingerman's with one specific question. How best can our community of faith discern where God might be leading us in the coming three years? Well, the first thing I learned at Zingerman's is there is a difference between a vision, a mission statement, and a strategic plan. Do you know the difference? As the CEO of Zingerman shares, at Zingerman's, a vision is a, is a picture of success at a particular point in the future. A vision is not a mission statement. A mission statement defines the, the purposes of an organization. A, a mission isn't also a strategic plan. That's sort of a map where we want to go. A vision is an actual destination. It's a vivid description of what success looks like for an organization. So it is with excitement and anticipation this morning we launch Mayflower Vision 2020-22 process. Now, over the past 14 years, we have done this before. This process has led, for example, to building habitat homes, to increasing our outreach budget, to increasing our endowment, to renovating our atrium for multi-purpose use, to live streaming to our new entrance and roof garden. But all that now is in the past. This morning, we turn our gaze forward. May is Vision Month. Which brings us to our first passage from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, which has been quoted by untold pastors and, and churches who, who found themselves in a similar situation as we are this morning, asking the question, what's next? As Ellen read in the King's James translation, completed back in 1611, that version of Proverbs reads, where there is no vision, the people perish. Untold pastors and churches have, have been motivated by those words to create a long-term strategic plan lest they die. But this week, I learned the translation of the original Hebrew in the King James is not entirely accurate. 
A better rendering we find in our Pew Bible, the New International Version, which reads, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Why the difference in translation? As one biblical scholar explains, the more modern translation captures the term vision, but is a translation of a Hebrew word, hazan, related to the verb hazah, which means to see or to receive a revelation. In other words, it's important to recognize Proverbs 29:19 does not necessarily refer to a long-term strategic plan or to a leader's hazan about the future, but to divine revelation, meaning what we are to do and where we are to go next, yes, is a vision, but Proverbs teaches the vision comes to us as revelation from God. As a part of our process, we will be handing out these nifty booklets in coming Sundays. Members of council will be handing them out at up events, at Bible studies, at Elevate, to ushers, inviting everyone to take ten minutes to write down what you discern and what you see God might be wanting us to do next. But Proverbs puts forward this footnote. Remember, we are seeking revelation. Not really what we want or imagine for ourselves at Mayflower. And there's a difference. So before each of us takes 10 minutes to write in our Vision 2022 booklet, we might offer a prayer asking for God's guidance and for that revelation to come. And what are we praying for? What revelation will we see? The prophet Jeremiah was born into a family of priests during a profound time of upheaval in Jerusalem. The first chapter of Jeremiah relates how he had this experience where scripture reads, The word of the Lord came to me, says Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, to be a prophet during this time was a tough job because it involved proclaiming the message that God's people should stop worshiping false gods. Jeremiah also ominously foretold that Jerusalem would fall to the Babylonians. And then it happened. In 597, King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, and it fell. The temple was destroyed. Civil and religious leaders were were carted off into exile. People fled in terror to Egypt. This week, I thought a somewhat comparable moment in our country might be when the British, in 1814, marched into Washington and burned the White House to the ground. 
That's what it was like. Hard times, almost unimaginable times, had befallen the Israelites. Chapter 1 through 29 in Jeremiah details his prophecies and how Jerusalem fell, which leads us right up to our passage where we read. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders and exiles and those in Babylon. And what message did Jeremiah offer? He said this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I carried you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon and now build houses and settle down. Marry, have sons and daughters, seek peace and prosperity. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my promise. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, two spiritual truths emerge from this passage. First, Scripture records how God's people are not spared from hardship, dislocation, personal, or even spiritual turmoil. That's not how life works. And I suspect most of us already know that's not how life works. That there have been times in our lives when all that is precious in, say, our our health, our relationships, our homes, our financial wherewithal, our professional dreams and reality, they, they fall and they fail. That there have been times when we have felt that we are in exile. We are, we are far from home, far from where we want to be. And yet it is then and there that we hear the second spiritual truth from Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope, and the future. So what is Jeremiah talking about exactly? What are these plans? Author Stephen Johnson writes books on fascinating topics such as how do we make decisions. In his book, Where Good Ideas Come From, he draws our attention to what theoretical biologist Stuart Kaufman once called the adjacent possible. What does he mean? Stuart Kaufman says the adjacent possible is the future that is just hovering on the edge of things. Another way to look at it, it's like a house that expands with each door that you open. The adjacent possible, in other words, is like that image you'll find on your bulletin cover this morning. As Johnson writes, imagine that you begin in a room with with four doors, each leading to a room 
that you haven't visited yet. Those four rooms are your adjacent possible. But once you open one of those doors and stroll into that new room, three new doors then appear, each leading to a brand new room that you couldn't have found or experienced if you stayed in your original room. That's your adjacent possible. When I read those words this week, it felt akin to what Jeremiah was describing to the Israelites, who who wondered anxiously, what did the future hold in store for them? For I have plans not to harm you, plans with hope and future. In other words, hardship and dislocation, personal and spiritual turmoil and exile, It's never a locked room, says Jeremiah. Rather, whenever we find ourselves in that place, God will provide, declares Jeremiah, a door to open. A door to a room that will then lead to another room and to spaces and places of hope and future. That is how God works. And that is what we will be praying to see and to experience this month and in the coming years. Praying to see as a community of faith which doors God wants us to open. As Stephen Johnson puts it, all of us live inside the adjacent possible in our work lives, in our creative pursuits, in the communities we inhabit. And we are surrounded by doors that we can open. At Zingerman's, they underscore how the ultimate goal of a vision is coming to that joyful place where as an organization we can see a positive an inspiring vision of the future. So may we all, I pray, come to experience that in our own lives, as this community of faith, as we begin a journey, discerning together, seeing together, God's revelation of what we are to do and where we are to go next. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.